0: Excellent. Jesse, thank you so much for that. Welcome. Um, so I'm here this morning with uh, Sarah, uh, my wife. I decided that if I've been here once, you get bored with me, so I bring along the, the, the finer part of, of our relationship. It, uh, we've been married for 28 years, and uh, we celebrated last year our 27th wedding anniversary, and we went over to Australia and we went to a wonderful uh, little area just north of Cairns called Palm Cove. I don't know if anybody's been to Palm Cove. I see a couple of nods here, some of you. It's, it's beautiful. And a uh, great place to go for a wedding anniversary. We, we sat there one night, and there was this... Um little restaurant. You, you can imagine there's this row of restaurants and cafes and then you walk out onto this little beach road, then, then there's these palm trees and then through there there's the beach which goes down onto the water. And it's like that just for miles. And, and we were there one night and we were just enjoying a, a highly romantic dinner. You know, we were, we were staring deeply into each other's cell phones, I mean into each other's eyes, and, uh, and, and we, were just, we were just having a wonderful conversation. It was a wonderful time. We were laughing, we were, we were just reflecting on life, and it was magnificent. We were outside, it was warm, there was the, the moonlight was just glistening across the, the Tasman Sea, and the, the breeze was wafting the palm tree. Do you get the picture? Right? you get what I'm talking about? So as we're there, we're doing this, and uh, just having such a wonderful time, all of a sudden I was aware that there was a, a person who'd come up to me, and he was standing over me like this, He was standing over me like this, and he said, it's your lucky night. Now, before my mind began to engage in the realm of possibilities about what that could mean, he then did this, and he hit me on the head with it, and he said, if I ever see you do that again, I'll knock every tooth out of your head. And my response was a bit like yours. We looked at each other and we went, what was that all about? And the, the wait, waiters came up and they were mortified. They said, what, what happened? And I said, he hit me. And they said, well, why did he hit you? I said, I have no idea. They said, well, did you do anything? No, we did nothing. I, I said, did he do something? And was he... Had he been angry because he'd gone and paid his bills? He upset. He said, we don't think so. I said, "Well, have you? Yeah, can you look at the, the camera footage? Was there anything on this? Look, we'll have a look at it anyway. We just left it in the state of high confusion, and I, So then." All of a sudden there was these two beautiful glasses of champagne sitting on our table and the waiter came up and said, look, we're so sorry about that. Here's some champagne. It's on the house. You can have it on us. We're, oh, thank you very much. And so then we, we ordered dessert and we finished our meal and then I went to pay. And I got to the, the counter and uh, the, the waiter tallied up the bill and I looked at it and I said to him, I said, look, this, you must have made a mistake. This, I know we've eaten more than that. And he said, look, we were so sorry about what happened to you. We decided that everything you ordered from that moment on was free. It was on the house. I had two conflicting thoughts. The first one was this. That is incredibly generous. The second one was this. Why didn't I order more? <laughs> <laughs> Ephesians 3, verse 14 to 21. It's an incredible prayer. And it's a prayer where Paul gets on his knees to ask God for the immeasurably more. And I I sometimes find myself thinking this. I wonder if we will get to eternity. We'll get to stand before the Lord at some point. and, And when we're standing there and we see the incredible riches of heaven, when we see the incredible resources that God has and we see the power that is so abundantly apparent as we step from time into eternity, I wonder if we'll stand there and we'll say, I should have asked for more. And so that's the heart that's behind this prayer. And I'm going to start at the end of this passage where it says in verse 21 of chapter 3 of Ephesians, it says, to him be glory in the church. And there, if you like, is the reason why we are the church. It's for him to receive glory. It's for Jesus Christ to be glorified through the church. Well, how does that happen? Well, it happens in a whole bunch of ways. Do you realize that you've glorified him this morning? Do you realize that you've glorified him by coming together and by standing shoulder to shoulder with other fellow believers in Jesus Christ? And you have expressed verbally through song and through word and through thought, you've expressed glory. In other words, you've enhanced the reputation of Jesus Christ this morning. Do you realize that as you walk out these doors, you are going to be for the glory of Jesus Christ? Because people are going to look at you walking out there. They're going to see how, how nice you are as you uh, exit the traffic area and you don't cut people off. They're going to see that you're incredible people. And you bring glory to Jesus Christ. Do you realize you're going to bring glory to Jesus Christ tomorrow morning when you go to work? Or when you go to school? Or when you go to university? Or when you, when you connect with people in your neighborhood? You are going to bring glory to Jesus Christ. Do you realize that we as the church, no matter what we do, whether word or deed, it is all done for the reputation of Jesus Christ? Question is, what reputation does Jesus have because of you? And so Paul comes to this prayer, and with that as a backdrop to it, he prays this mighty prayer, verse 14, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And he gets on his knees to pray into reality the glory that belongs to Jesus Christ. And the Father is leaning forward, as it were, figuratively from from heaven with all of the resources of heaven saying, just ask and I'll give. And so that is the invitation of this prayer that we would just ask because God wants to give. Well, what does Paul pray? He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches... He may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You know, when you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, or if you're sitting here this morning you say, well, that's not been my experience, can I encourage you to listen carefully? Because I want to tell you what it means to become a follower of Jesus Christ. It's surrendering your life to him. And if you're here this morning and say, well, how do I do that? Well, it's really simple. come to this realization that he is your Lord, he is Lord and Savior, and that he died in your place, and he has life, and you simply say, God, I surrender myself to you. And now there's an amazing thing that happens when, when we do that, and it's this, that he sends his Holy Spirit into our lives, and the Holy Spirit comes in and he seals us for salvation. He says, no, you're mine. But then it's not that the Holy Spirit is just simply then like this, like this title deed in our life. He is that, but oh, he is so much more than that. Because you see, he also longs to transform each of us to be the person that we were created to be. You know, so what does it mean to have the Holy Spirit strengthen you with power in the inner you? We had a a house that we bought many years ago. It was in Churton Park. It was in Cranwell Street. It was one of those houses that the um, advertisement for the house on the property press was um, a DIY dream, <laughs> right? AKA, it needs work. So we walked into this place and we, we saw potential. We saw lots of potential. We also saw incredibly dirty carpet. We also smelt um, you know, curtains that uh, the people had been smokers and uh, you know, they, they had this beautiful aroma. Uh, we also uh, discovered that downstairs there was this area which was a bit like a den which we thought was great but at, at the, this point in time it was an absolute site. We owned it. We had the title deed for it. But now we had to get to work. And so we got to work and we started pulling down the curtains and we started taking off the jib that wasn't right and we ripped up all the carpet and we got downstairs and we pulled out walls and we put new walls up and after two or three years of of hard labor, we all of a sudden had turned what was a house that we had the title deed for into a home that we lived in. You see, the Holy Spirit comes into your life when you give your life to Jesus Christ. And you know what? What? For most of us, it, when he walks in, he probably looks around and goes, it's a bit of a DIY job. <laughs> he says, "You, you know, there's, there's things that need to be done. There's attitudes that need to be changed. There's, there's, there's ways of thinking which are not the way that they can be. They're not healthy. Maybe there's, um, maybe there's addictions, maybe there's activities that are going on, maybe there's things that you do where the Holy Spirit is saying, you know what, I really want to get in there, I want to take that wall down. That carpet, You know, that way that you've lived life all these years, do you realize how worn out and how old and how death it is? It's time for life. It's time for new carpet in your life. You see, God wants to transform the inner you. And he wants to do this, and the way that he does it is so wonderful. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And as the Holy Spirit gets to work on renovating you from the inside out, he wants to renew everything that's sinful and that's destructive in our lives. And he wants to replace that with everything that's good, unleashing out of his unlimited glorious riches the power to transform our lives. So how does he do this? How does he begin to turn our lives from being a place which is a house to a home where Jesus Christ will live? Well, in Ephesians chapter five, a bit later on, it says this: Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And there's a parallel verse in Colossians three sixteen, which says, "Let the message of Christ dwell amongst you richly." Yeah, it's it's, it's quite simple, really. And what what Paul's saying here is, you see, you know what, there are things that if you drink a lot of wine, you will get drunk. And when you get drunk, you end up having all your inhibitions going and all your filters go and you tend to do what you really don't want to do and that leads to debauchery, which is a nice way of saying immorality. And what Paul is saying is, don't put that into your life to control you, rather let the Holy Spirit control you. In the same way that you know, if you drink a lot of wine, it will control you. He's saying, invite the Holy Spirit. Have as much of him as you possibly can. How do you have as much of the Holy Spirit as you possibly can? Well, the parallel verse says this let the word, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Yeah, here's this incredible reality that we have. When we pick up the word of God, and we read the Word of God and we think about the Word of God and we meditate on the Word of God and we we allow the Word of God to challenge us, the Holy Spirit comes in. It's almost like he celebrates and he says, finally, you're listening to me. And as you listen to him, the Holy Spirit will take the Word that you've placed into your life and he'll apply it to your life and you'll obey him. And the very simple way that you do this is you simply say yes. You know, it happens Relatively early on with, with a person who comes to faith in Jesus Christ and there is this challenge which happens where they say, I'd like to get baptized. You know, what, what's baptism? Well, baptism is just simply this wonderful expression of what God has already done. Because when we come to Christ, it's like the, like oh, yeah, everything that's old will be been washed away and we have this new life, we're clean before him. And baptism is something you you find if you're reading your Bible, you say, "Man, I, I saw people getting baptized." And then there's that inconvenient nudge of the Spirit where He says, "Well, it's about time you got baptized too." And in that moment, you begin to put in place a way that you live, where your house, where your life becomes a home for Jesus, and that's this. You simply say, "Yes, Lord." And so you boldly step out and you go to Jesse or someone and say, look, I'd like to get baptised. And he goes, great, let's find the coldest day with the coldest piece of water and let's make it memorable. (laughs) But that pattern of living is one that will continue on and on and on. Because all of a sudden you find that you're challenged when someone has hurt you. That you sense that the word says, you know what, forgive And you feel this nudge of the Holy Spirit, which says, You know that person who offended you? Forgive him. Yeah, but I don't want to. I want to keep this wall up. I like this bit. And he says, No, no. Forgive. Yes, Lord. And all of a sudden, the house has been turned into a home. And we have this incredible transformational power that comes. You see, if we make room for the Holy Spirit, he'll make room for the Lord Jesus by eliminating things that are sinful and destructive, and he will feel completely at home in your heart. Yeah, you might say, well, I thought he was at home anyway. I thought he's just here anyway. Well, it's true he is that guest. And another way to describe this is sometimes when we, we say to the Lord Jesus, hey, you're welcome in my life, what we're really saying is you're welcome in the entry porch. To understand that, would you inquire into it? Would you jump into it? Would you jump off the cliff into the love of God? Because you see, this love of God is greater than anything we could ever possibly know. It surpasses experience. That is, no matter how many experiences of the love of God, the love of Christ, there are oceans of love in the great heart of God that have not yet been reached or yet been touched. Here's the genius. God creates us with an unlimited desire for love. Is there anybody in this room who has said, yeah, I've been loved enough? We're created with this unlimited desire. You might say, I have had the most incredible expression of love poured onto me. And the amazing thing about God is he says, yeah, but you'll never never stop that. Why? Because he has unlimited love he wants to pour into our hearts. You see, you'll never get to the end of his love. And so we have this incredible thing here where we who have an unlimited desire for love, he has an unlimited capacity to love. And he wants to pour that unlimited love with no height or width or breadth or depth where you cannot get to the end of it. And he simply wants to keep pouring it into your life again and again and again and again. And it's not motivated by a value. It's not motivated by what we do or who we are or what we're worth. It's pure overcoming, uncontainable, uncontrollable love. And we experience that love so that we're filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What does that mean? There was a a woman one day who went to the well to get water. She did it at midday, The reason she went to get water at the well at midday and in the time that Jesus was living is because she didn't want to meet anybody. She didn't want to get interrupted by anybody. The reason for that was probably because she's made a bit of a mess of her life. Yes, She's had a number of failed marriages. There's probably all sorts of other issues that have gone on with that. She's probably not doing particularly well economically. She's probably got a whole lot of rejection going on in her life. There's probably conversations that go on. When she walks through people, she probably gets those sideways glances, those, yeah, we know what you like. So for her, it's easier to go to the well in the middle of the day because nobody will be there, except Jesus was there this day. And Jesus... Goes up to her, which is something that he should never do, because you see he was a Jewish man and she was a Samaritan woman. And you simply don't talk to Samaritans, let alone Samaritan woman if you're a man. And he goes up to her and he says, Can I have a can I have water? And it sparks this conversation. And they end up having this conversation around, well, who's got the best water? And Jesus, of course, is thinking about the eternal resources of heaven. If you knew the water I had, you'd ask me for it. And in the end, it it sparks her her interest, and and they start talking, and she says, Well, sir, give me this water that I might drink. And then then he says to her these these fateful words. He says, Go get your husband. And all of a sudden, she finds herself standing on the top of the cliff. Because you see, in that moment, she's got a choice to make. She can either keep her house, her life, her own, or she can jump. And she can entrust herself into the love of God. And she stands there, and and could you imagine what would be going through her mind in that moment? Can I trust him? Do I really know who he is? Will this be painful for me? What would it be like if if he was there to talk through it all? He said, the scars are so deep, they're so hurting, they're so painful. Why, Why would I put myself through that again? But there's something about this man that is more than just a man, and he's asking me to trust him and to jump. To experience his love. So she very gently opens the door. And he says, You're right. You're right, the man you're with now is not your husband. You've had five. And it's like he welcomes her in. And she then says, you know, how do we worship? It's interesting, some people will say at that moment that the, the Samaritan woman was trying to put Jesus off the trail. Saying, oh, you know, she, he, she's turned it into a theological discussion around worship. You know, do we worship on this hill or that hill or the other hill? You know what I've noticed? That when people come to Christ and they dive into his love, their response is they want to worship. And she simply say, how do I do this? How do I worship you? How do I, give, how do I surrender my life to you? You see, when you dive into his love, all you want to do is worship You know, some of you are standing on that cliff right now. There's things where the the word and the spirit that Jesus has nudged you, and the things going on in your life where you're standing there and you're going, "Can I really trust Him?" And you're dry spiritually, and you're dry spiritually because you've spent too much time standing on the top of the cliff. And as you're standing there on the top of the cliff, it's like you're watching, you're seeing other people experience God's love. You're seeing other people have breakthrough in their life. You're seeing other people live in surrender where they know the power of the Word and the Spirit expressed in their life. But for you, you're standing safely on the top of the cliff. You're missing. And the invitation to you this morning is jump. You say, God, here I am. So... How did this woman become filled to the measure of the fullness of God? And how would we know? Because the story doesn't end there. Because the story goes on, That's found in John chapter 4, if you ever want to look at it, that she goes running back into the village and she tells as many people as she possibly can about what Jesus has done for her. And she can't keep quiet. She's saying, he told me about everything I ever did. I wonder if it was everything. She told, me, she told me about, about all the things that were going on, but you know what? Not only did he do that, but he did it in such a way where I experienced this incredible love of God and it's changed me and it's transformed me and it's made me into a new woman, into a person who now lives for the glory of God. And in John chapter 4, verse 39, here is the result of someone being filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Many from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's story you'll know you are filled with the fullness of God when you overflow with his stories and his work and worship in your life and as you know and you experience his love you'll do that because he is at home in your life and because you start to be that person who you have those stories of the work of God daily do you? Do we, or are we cliff-bound? And Paul finishes. Just in case you were wondering if God could do it, because I wonder if God can do it. I I, I stand way too often at the top of a cliff and. Wonder, can I really jump into all that God has for me? Yeah, you, you do it. I mean, Sarah and I—we got—we're going through decisions at the moment around around what we do future-wise, and and even this morning, I just I asked her a question. I said, Are "We sure this is right?" And as I did that, I was basically jumping back up the top of the cliff again. Yeah, trusting Him for decisions we make, trusting Him in relationships, trusting Him in business. Trusting him in those inner conflicts that we have. Can he do it? Well, now to him, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. (laughs) He can do, get this, more not only than what you ask, so whatever you dream up with, I should have asked for more. Whatever you dream up with, whatever you can imagine, he'll do more. So his Goal, his desire is not to simply say, Well, yeah, what's what's the minimum get away with that I can give Jesse? Yeah, I'm sure he needs copious amounts of the love of God. Yeah, and you could God doesn't sit there and go, Well, you know, I've got this much I've allocated to you. I think that'll probably get you by. No, God says this: I will give you everything out of the resources of eternity. Ask me. And when you've asked me for all you can think of, you've only just started to begin to experience what I've actually got for you. We don't ask God for enough for ourselves. We so often live in the spiritual shallows. And you know, you'll never receive God's best until you become completely dissatisfied with what is at best, second best. Have you built a home at the top of the cliff? Have you built a place where you stay, where you're quite comfortable, where that's where you want to be? My encouragement to you this morning is jump. Because God looks to create in you and I such an incredible display of his character as he unleashes the word and the spirit in your life. And the overflow of that love goes through Jesus Christ and goes to the church. To him be glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. How do we live for His glory? Our lives become home for Him. He has free access into every room in our life. And in order to do that, He doesn't do it by saying, I'm in here and it doesn't matter what you think, I'm going to barge my way through. He says, No, no, no. He said, I'm going to knock on the door of your life. I'm going to knock on the door of that room. And, and if you would entrust yourself to me, you'll experience an outpouring of my love in such a way that a story will be told which is so compelling that you can't stop sharing it with other people. And as you share that story with other people, here's what happens. They will all of a sudden go, you mean you have that kind of life? that there is a God who loves that much, that there is a freedom and there is a joy and there is a peace and there is a hope that you have, how do I find that? And you find other people in your lives begin to believe because of your story. Not because of your arguments over who Jesus is, but because of your story of what he's done in your life. Now to him, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, According to his power, there's a work within us. To him be glory in you, the church, and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen.